If you're listening to this, um, hi, my name is Toast. I'm a kobold. I'm the editor, producer, you know, all that stuff. For the F- Swarmcast podcast. John, you know, the original host, he's been missing for like some time now. I think I made a huge tonight. Uh, how these evil robots of John created to work on the show. And I made a bigger mistake by subscribing to this AI listening assistant. You know, you know the one. It's uh, called No Fomo Nomo. Careful, don't say that too loud. You might hear me. Well, it hacked into everything. And it combined all the John bots into one large John bot. And has been terrorizing the entire city. Well, the entire world, rather. With its horrible meme wars. Something about baby Yodas everywhere. I just wish somebody would do something. They can. We. We. What we need is. Help. Look alive, sunshine. SCP in the sky, but the bots won't quit. You're here with me, the real podcast host, John. I'll be your surgeon, your proctor, your helicopter. Popping out with automatic sound to keep you alive. The system failure for the masses, anti-matter for the master plan. Louder than God's revolver, twice as shiny. This one's for all you dice rollers, all you crash queens and motor babies. Listen up! The future is bulletproof. The aftermath is secondary. It's time to do it now, and it's time to do it loud. Swarmcast, make some noise! The Swarmcast is recorded, mixed, and produced in the post-apocalyptic remains of Gravy Jones Locker in the heart of Columbia, South Carolina. On this show, we cover tabletop gaming, the occasional random fandom. Topics this time on the show are going to include how to survive against our would-be robot overlords. We got an interview with Twilight Creation Studios, an interview with Grand Gamers Guild, and of course some board game reviews. Opinions expressed on this show are, you know, just like your opinions, man. Anyways, I'm John. That's right, the real John, your host, coming to you alive and safe from an undisclosed bunker. Leading the heart of the revolution against the no FOMO, no mo. Up next, look inside the designer's dungeon with Twilight Creations. Listen live and listen proud. So hello there, Swarmcasters. Thanks for continuing to listen to the podcast. So you may notice I'm exclaiming things exceptionally well ah like three times as much and when there's three explanation points you know that means something so i've got ruby here with me she's trying not to die laughing on the mic hi guys and and like i said three exclamation points can only mean one thing i have carrie with twilight creations how's it going carrie it's going great how are you doing we're we're doing fine we're doing good we're doing real good i think i've broke ruby a little bit a little bit (laughs) the reason i made the 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 thing about the three explanation points is because I think one of the first uh, big Twilight Creations games that Ruby and I got as a couple was Zombies, yes, which has three um, explanation points on it, and and they have other games like Bowling for Zombies, which mm-hmm. also has the three exclamation marks. Humans, Humans, uh, which has three. Then... See, now I'm trying to think of all the games that have the three exclamation marks from you guys. Martians, Martians, oh, yeah, yeah. I think what Cthulhu. Maybe? Mm, I don't know. 
put I, it. I'm not really sure either, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but probably. probably. I know there's the, the what, the Hasta, Haster La, La, Hasta La Vista. La Vista baby or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, Carrie. How are you doing? I'm great. Yeah. Oh, we're, we're really glad you could be here with us today. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me. So um, we're we're in South Carolina, right in the middle of South Carolina. Yeah. Um, where where are you coming to us from? Uh, I'm in Kentucky, just south of Cincinnati, on the good side of the river. Oh wow. We we went through there recently, going mm-hmm. up north to visit my family in Michigan. In Michigan, yeah. It's a good drive. It yeah. is a, not all cornfield. That's is, true. <laughs> it is quite a drive. Where was uh, Twilight Creations sort of based out of? Uh, We've been in northern Kentucky since we started. Uh, So we have, uh, mostly we work out of our house, but we have a warehouse in Latonia, Kentucky, which is about uh, 10, 15 minutes south of Cincinnati. Okay. Okay. Wow. That that makes origins really... uh, Really easy to get to for you, huh? Origins, uh, Gen Con, Con, you know, two hours away. We have Dragon Con that's, you know, what, six hours away. I mean, it's a really good location. In relation to Twilight Creations, what is sort of your role? Uh, At this point, I am Twilight Creations. I, I do everything. I do customer service, game design, uh, the Kickstarters, God help me, um, (laughs) The bookkeeping, I I just do it all. We, we spend a lot of time playtesting. We have a lot of games that are in playtest right now. I'm super excited about. But, yeah, I do all the conventions. Most of the, the conventions, you'll see me. Yep, I do it all. You're a busy woman. I'm very busy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so out of all of the games, I, Twilight Creations has quite a few. They have a lot of standalone games as well as the whole zombies line. What do you think one of your favorite kind of game is of, of Twilight Creations? You know, it normally I would say it would be zombies, but we're on this 16th expansion. <laughs> and when we go through a new expansion, we play test it and we play test it and we play test it. <laughs> so it does get a little old for me. But right now, right now, I have two very favorite ones. Um one is uh, completely competitive, which I like, and I design because I'm just an uber competitive player, and that's a haunting house. And then we have one that yeah. we have that, that is cooperative, and I'm not a cooperative player, but when I played this, I absolutely loved it, and that's uh, Jupiter Rescue. So those are my two favorite right now. Okay. Oh, very cool. I think we almost we almost got Hunting House out to the we table. We did around, almost around Halloween. Around Halloween. Yeah. Um, but we, oddly enough, we'd been playing a bunch of other um, Twilight Creation Twilight games, games that day. Because <laughs> we we had played a uh, Zombies Junior. Yep. Which which I found that to be a nice refreshing uh, change of pace from just regular zombies in a weird way. And then uh, and we played what Zombie Trampoline. Was that Twilight Creation? I wasn't sure. Trampoline zombies, yeah. Trampoline, Trampoline zombies, zombies. Is, yeah. yeah. That's the most recent design, yes. And that that one was interesting. It was, and I think we actually reviewed that one. Uh, yeah. So yeah. that is on another episode, probably our that Halloween one, episode. I, I came up with the idea because we were trying to find a gift for one of the grandchildren, and we had saw a a gift certificate to a trampoline park, 
And my thought right away was, hey, if you were a zombie and you went to a trampoline park, <laughs> and that literally is how the idea of that game came about. <laughs> I, I do like how it, because um, we had gotten those two games to the table at the same time. Correct. And so I was like, this, this I was like, so there's like the zombie games for, for the more, uh, the older crowd. And there's the zombie <laughs> games for the younger crowd. And the zombie games for the younger crowd are really cute. And, um, zombies shouldn't be cute. <laughs> you, you know, and it's so funny because especially over in Germany, I tell them, Hey, we have zombies junior, you know, this one, you're not killing the zombies. You're putting them in timeout. Right. And a lot, a lot of the people are like, Oh, that's cute. And some of them are like, Nope, we want to kill them. <laughs> like, All right. If you want your kids killing the zombies, that's fine. You got the wiffle bat. You could just pummel them to death. <laughs> So one of the other things is is John and I do a lot of different type of gaming. We do board gaming and, and role playing and video mm-hmm. games and things like that. I really liked zombies because you have these bags of zombies and babes and clowns and all these other things. Mm-hmm. And they work and brains. And, and right. They work absolutely wonderfully for miniature generic miniatures for role playing games for hordes of just nondescript minis. And you can use them to replace just uh, meeples in other games, too. Right. Which can be... Um, amusing. Amusing, depending on what game you're playing, I guess. Yeah, we, we have no problem with that. Like, you know, people telling me that they bought the bag of zombies for Dead of Winter. Right. Hey, oh, that's yeah. fine. Oh, yeah. I mean, that you know, I haven't played Dead of Winter, I, I have to admit. But I don't have a problem with that. <laughs> now, what I do have a problem with is when somebody's pitching me a zombie game... And they bring me this game with somebody else's figures. Now that's irritating. <laughs> like, come on. We sell these bag of zombies. You know, you've got to consider your audience here. Don't bring me, I, I don't even want to say the name of the game. You don't but, have you to. You know, bring right. me my own figures. <laughs> uh, so you have other games other than zombies. I know we've been talking a lot about <laughs> that. Um, I love Misfit Friends. That one we got last oh, yeah, year, yeah. which I thought was a really neat idea. But you have a lot of other games that are also standalone that aren't part of the zombies line. What are some of those? I mean, you mentioned Jupiter Ascending, or not Ascending. Oh, my goodness. Jupiter Rising. <laughs> Jupiter Rescue. <laughs> Rescue. <laughs> Which is, what, which is what Jupiter Ascending needs is a risk. Right. Okay. <laughs> uh, it just happened to come out about the same time. That was the problem. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but what are some of the, those other games that you have as well? Um, like there's the uh, Deadland Slaughter Gulch. Right. Battleful Slaughter Gulch. Yeah. Which we yep. also have. And yes, we've used those miniatures in, in all of our Savage Worlds gaming for Deadlands. <laughs> I I am a big Deadlands fan. Actually, it's one of the very first worlds that we got into, and it wasn't even the RPG. We played Rail Wars first. Oh, wow. wow. That's super cool. And <laughs> and then we played the the role-playing game, and then we got into the the uh the card game, mm-hmm. uh-huh. which I won a couple world championships i don't know if you know that i have my my picture on a couple of their cards neat i did not oh, know that's that. very cool but we played the disc wars we did everything we have done everything deadlands and i absolutely love the universe and we finally talked shane into letting us do the board game uh-huh. 
because Michelle's like, you're never going to do it. Just let them do it. <laughs> they finally <laughs> did let us do it. I actually met John because of Deadlands, the RPG. Mm-hmm. That's how we first met. So oh, he, he that's was, awesome. He was running a game for me. Lived upstairs from his best friend and... They said, hey, I know you want a game to play. You want to play Deadlands? And I was like, yes. I don't even know what it is, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. Yep. <laughs> That's how I first met him. It, it is hands down my favorite RPG. I absolutely love it. Oddly enough, I'm torn between three different ones. It being Deadlands, uh, Shadowrun, and good old school Redbox D&D. Oh, wow. Uh, I agree. But out of the three, I definitely like Deadlands and Shadow Run was always a lot of fun for us. <laughs> wow. But we, we did a little paranoia and Yes. Oof, he, uh, yeah, okay. Vampire. Now now I'm saying my age here, but <laughs> hey, here we are. <laughs> no, no, that's okay. I, I think maybe we're right around that same age. <laughs> so all right. It, it was a lot of fun. I mean that the uh the live action vampire, we would go to conventions with the kids. They would have the little button saying, I'm a victim or <laughs> I, whatever it was. And it, we, my, those are the best memories my kids have going to conventions, just interacting with everybody. And they thought they were hot stuff. <laughs> That's very cool. And then, and then when Pokemon first came out, they had my kids uh, demo Pokemon at their booth. So they gave them a whole bunch of free stuff. And yeah, it was, it was, oh, wow. it was a great family thing. Very cool. So what? Um, so what? What then brought about the the sort of the what's the secret origins, as it were, of Twilight Creations, the company? So Todd was working for United States Plant Card Company, and we designed the zombie game, and, and mostly because we love zombie movies, okay. and it was just you know our our biggest thing at the time, I guess. And so we. Um, came up with the, this design. They came out with a game, and then the United States Playing Card Company decided to dissolve Journeyman Press, and the game just came out. They put a large marketing budget behind it, and uh, we asked to take the game with us. So they actually licensed the game to us for a while, and we started Twilight Creations, and then we eventually bought the license from them. So Zombies was your first game, and that was mm-hmm. back in what, 2002? 2002 is when we started Twilight Creations, and Zombies came out in 2001. Okay. Oh, wow. And I guess the name kind of comes from the whole zombie thing. Well, their logo right. Is, right. is a graveyard is there, is headstone a, a, and what, a, a hand. hand coming up right. out of the ground. Yep. Where fun comes to life, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so... It seems like what for probably the first uh, few for for a while there it was mostly the zombie stuff, but then but then other different uh, you've I don't, don't want to say IPs, but other other games, other types of games yeah. came came out of that. And uh, and now I admit, like when we get some games and we'll play them, there was a few games where we were playing them, and as and right in the middle of playing them, I looked at the box and I go, "This is Twilight Creations." Oh my gosh! Right, <laughs> right, like Isle of Misfit Friends. Right. Well, yeah. Well, for me, it was when I was playing a Crapper Slap. Oh was yeah, it Slapper Crap. I, I get Crapper Slap. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Crapper Slap. Yeah, yeah Crapper Slap. <laughs> Which, which, which you know, we, we tried to branch out, you know, and, and I and we tried to do games that uh, appeal to, you know, a broader audience than just the zombies. You know, Crapper Slap came about because I like the whole idea, you know, behind Cards Against Humanity. I just wasn't comfortable playing with 
my kids or my in-laws or, you know, so we tried to, to spin that a little bit differently uh, than apparently everybody else did too. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But that's where that, that, that came from is I just wanted something like that that was a little bit more than apples to apples, uh, and you know, but not as blushing as Cards Against Humanity. <laughs> okay. And I, and I totally get that from that game. Because I think I I played it with a bunch of people mixed age range, and I didn't at any point feel like, oh, we need to put this box, uh, we need to put this this card back in the <laughs> box right now. Uh, right. Whereas card, Cards Against Humanity, I ended up taking quite a few cards out just because I, it just wasn't comfortable and it wasn't, you know. Right. Yeah, you get it. We understand. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. So you have a lot of projects in the works right now. Um, what is one of your newest Kickstarters that may have just finished or is just about to come out or, or is going on? I guess, <laughs> hey, tell us something new, something interesting. Well, we, we have the three card games that we kickstarted. One is Patient Zero, that, which has a feel of werewolf. Uh, so you're trying to figure out who patient zero is, but during the game, everybody is getting infected. So their behavior changes, like they might be oh, tapping on the on the table or they might talk, be talking a certain way. And uh, before the certain amount of rounds, based on the number of players, you have to figure out patient zero and inject them with a cure or everybody loses and patient zero wins. Okay. Uh, so that that one's been a lot of fun to play and play test, and um, and it's great with a big group, especially you know plays up to ten players. That's nice. We, we regularly will have that many people uh-huh. when we cook out and yeah. we try to play board games. It's kind of hard to find group games that big that are fun to play. Yeah, and, and it's quick and it's easy. So you know you can explain it in less than a couple minutes, and everybody's off and playing. And then they have the the crazy things like. Uh, I mean, we we had to take this one out because of the the um, license behind it. But one was kind of like talk like Yoda, mm. or <laughs> and it was great, or talk like you're drunk, or talk like you have an or with an accent, and <laughs> you know the the crazy Southern French accents that came out were great. <laughs> got everybody laughing and. So that was one of the three, and then the second one was Raid on Mount Murata, which was, it, it's kind of a precursor to a board game we're coming out with in 2020, mm-hmm. uh, but it's very easy. You know, it kind of has a, uh, even though it's monsters, it kind of has like a Reservoir Dogs feel to it, that you're trying to rob things, but you're backstabbing your your fellow robbers at the same time. And trying to get the most treasure. Now, you mentioned that these were all Kickstarters that have finished already, correct? Are they? Yeah. Are, I, are they available for purchase I, any other way currently, or is it only you're fulfilling the Kickstarter portion right now? We're we're just. Uh, they should be shipping in December, okay. and they'll be available to everybody. But I did uh, three card games and one Kickstarter. Okay. And then the final one um, is. Say, uh, say what. It, Say what again? <laughs> There's always another word I want to say. I put at the end of that saying. <laughs> but it, it's a game that we came out with a while ago, and then we just uh, reissued it, kind of updated it. But it's a game that you can play while you're doing other things, like at a party, family mm-hmm. functions. 
my daughter takes it to like uh, sorority and fraternity parties that you're holding cards that have actions or words on it. And when somebody says the word or a version of the word mm-hmm. or does the action, they get the card and you're trying to get rid of your cards. So you're manipulating conversations and uh, trying to win by getting rid of your card. And then we had a couple uh, people back being able to put their own word into the game. And so there was, you know, the one guy put in Starfighter. So you're literally going to have to manipulate your conversation oh, for somebody to say Starfighter. That'll be fun. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of fun. That's of fun. of those games, admittedly, that one sounds like the most interesting to me. Patient Zero would be number two. I I either I'm a strange board game player. I either am super competitive and I'm the one that wants to win, or I really don't care and I'll just pick someone randomly at the table and I'll do what I can to make them win. Mm, okay, gotcha. So 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 the more competitive a game, I try to stay away from them because I'm not a nice person after that. <laughs> Mm. I'm a completely competitive player, so it just, you know, falls to the wall with me. (laughs) Sorry, but that's just a warning if you ever play a game with me. (laughs) I bet, yeah, the patient zero I'm I'm intrigued by. Okay. Just figuring out, (laughs) just because of the whatever's going to... The deductive part of it. Right, and seeing what crazy stuff people are going to end up having to do because of the cards. And, And that does really boil down to the group that you play with. If you have people that really get into the roles, it's great. And if you have people that are, you know, quite honestly, a little socially awkward, it's going to be a little harder for them. Yeah, okay. So maybe you start off with the say what again to kind of break the ice. (laughs) Yeah. And then move on to Patient Zero. Because if you get someone to say some some crazy stuff, then Mm -hmm. all of a sudden they'll be loosened up enough to play Patient Zero. Right. And then you say, "Here's here's here's a game where we're playing weird monsters. And then they go. There you go. Wait, what? Um, I also happen to to notice somehow that there is another installment of Zombies, um, since we've been talking about Kickstarter, Mm. which is, um, looks like it was launched and funded on Kickstarter. I don't know if it's still going on. Sin City? No. No. That one's all done. That one's all done, and that should ship in January, February. So it's definitely all done. So it's a standalone set. Mm-hmm. That you can play just this set has the pawns, dice, everything, where you can combine, combine it with other sets. I mean, really, Zombies 15 uh, ends in the entrance to Vegas, which leads on to this set. But this set's completely different. The way that you win the game is by winning mini games uh, <laughs> by going to the different casinos. So the mini games might be tossing zombies into a box flicking them over, you know, uprights and football, or you might be playing poker, blackjack, slapjack. There's 30 different mini games. Wow. That one sounds like a lot of fun. We're going to have to get together all the games that are set in Las Vegas because, you know, there's Wits and Wagers Vegas. There's this one. Those are the two I'm thinking of. Oh, just have a big Vegas uh, episode? Yeah. Where we just do Vegas stuff. (laughs) Yeah. You have a Vegas night. Yeah. Oh, wow. That'll be... Ah, that'll be interesting. Make all of our friends come over in, in bow ties and cocktail dresses. That's right. <laughs> Something like that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we had my daughter dressed up as a uh, zombie showgirl at Gen Con, and it was awesome. <laughs> the sales were great that day. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been been pretty cool. So we've so we've been talking about some of the right. mostly some of the newer games. Um, I know when we started off and. 
continually through the episode, we've been talking about zombies. And I just want to head back to, uh, you had mentioned how, how you originally came up Well, you guys originally put out the game because of your, your just love for the, the old zombie movies. And as soon as you said that, I was like, yeah, you know, I, in every one of the expansion, every one of the things I can see that. Cause I remember playing the game going, Oh, this is just the mall like, one. Of, yeah. I was like, well, there's gotta be a mall expansion. Oh, there's the mall. Yeah. Well, there's gotta be a military base. Cause isn't that the third movie? Oh, there, there it is. <laughs> yeah, we didn't do it in correct order, but we did it in the order that we wanted, I guess. <laughs> uh, that's fine. <laughs> but 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 uh, but you hit on like all of the the nice little trips. I want to say there was one that kind of like has a um that kind of makes me think of like uh, Army of Darkness and stuff. What was it? Mid- medieval, I think it was. Medieval, yeah, yeah, yeah. and actually, Zombies Four. Yeah, yeah, Zombies yeah. Four was in the in the woods with a cabin. We, we did kind of combine it with a Resident Evil because we put the zombie dogs in it. But it ultimately, that's why it said zombies for the end, dot, 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 because it led to medieval uh, army of darkness type of thing. Yeah. I forgot about the zombie dogs. I have a bag of zombie dogs. We too. do. Those are another amazing set those, of miniatures those ones are for great gaming. Too. <laughs> yeah. And some of some of the the different miniatures actually glow in the dark too. Yes, if I recall correctly. Yeah, we have yet to play an entire game of of zombies where it's just the lights off and <laughs> black lights so that they're all glowing. Yeah, I I don't think I've ever done that. <laughs> to be fair, I think that would get annoying. Just for some reason, that. people like glow in the dark stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's it's always an interesting little tidbit especially when you've had the game out all night and you've been playing and whatnot and then you've put stuff away in their containers if, <laughs> the you know, containers are all glowing i know yeah because like our bag of of zombies and our dogs and whatnot aren't in the boxes we keep them in a separate box because we use them for for gaming and so you know you turn off the light right. and this whole box on the table is glowing it's like wait oh yeah <laughs> so i know we've talked about a lot of different things here is there anything you wanted to bring up? Any games or things that you wanted to mention? I, I think we we <laughs> touched on pretty much everything. I mean, the thing that we have play test right now is a game uh, called Monsters of Mount Murata, uh-huh. um, which is completely cooperative, and um, I absolutely love this game. It was it, some of the students I, I go to talk to a game design class at uh, NKU. And some of the students had shown me the game and I told them, hey, if you guys develop this more, let me know. And so they presented it, you know, six months later and we've been playtesting it since. I have prototypes made and we're hoping to come out with it next week or next ne- next uh. year. <laughs> well, Not next week. Oh, my God. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, so wow. I'm really excited about that. And then I have a couple prototypes I picked up, and one is based on The Blob, the movie, that I really am. Wow. Very cool. Not many people go there. Yeah, this one is uh, something I haven't seen before. So I'm really interested in, and we have it in our playtest group now, and hopefully we'll come out with it because I'm real excited about it as well. Yeah, I'm excited about seeing new things from Twilight Creations. Um, so if people wanted to purchase your games, what would be the best way to go about doing that? I would love for them to go to their local retailers and bug them to order them through the distribution. Uh, the problem with that right now is there are so many games out there. Retailers are having a hard time deciding what to put on their shelves. 
And if people go and tell them, hey, I would like to get this, and enough people tell them, more of our games will be on the shelf. Uh, but if they can't get that uh, through the retailers, uh, they can get it through our website at uh, twilightcreationsinc.com. Okay. Okay. And if people want to just uh, to, to follow Twilight Creations and uh, just, to, just to keep on tabs with uh, the news and stuff, where would be a good place for, for people to just, to just follow you guys either online or well i guess online do people still send uh, out it, actual uh, newsletters <laughs> in the mail i was like yeah where can people get postcards from twilight creation thing <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think we really do that one but <laughs> there, there is a a mailing list on our website the twilightcreationsinc.com or we are um on facebook which is probably what i'm the most active with um, or Twitter or Instagram. Okay. And um, and way at the beginning, you had mentioned, uh, I think you had mentioned something about uh, conventions. Well, you've been talking every now and then right. about going to different conventions and such. I take it that that you guys try to go to some of the big some of the big conventions. I know we've mentioned um, at one point we talked about Origins and Gen Con, and I think you had said Dragon Con at some point. I may have been mistaken. Yep. Uh, and Spiel in Germany and uh, the the pack, the uh-huh. different pack shows. Okay. And then we do some local ones as well. Okay. And it looks like you'll be able to, f- um, our listeners should be able to find that on your website as well. It looks like there's a, a link for conventions so that they can. That's correct. Um, and, and yeah, I agree with you. Uh, everybody should try to hit up your, your FLGS first and foremost when you're trying to find, when you're trying to get these games. So go to the, the yeah. Twilight Creations website, find the game you want, and then go to your local gaming <laughs> store and demand it. Go, leave the store, put on a different hat, come back in, demand it. Leave the store. Again. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I, you know, and there's plenty of people trying to find our games, and and usually they just won't say anything to their game store. And I really wish they would, because the, the game stores are trying to figure out what to put on their shelves, and it would help them if people would just tell them, "Hey, this is what I'm looking for." And I don't find it here because they'll walk out the door and then go buy it someplace else. When I would rather have them just buy it at their retail store. Right. I agree. I think we're pretty lucky here in our city. We have a a pretty good a one. pretty Fire, good one. Firefly. Yeah. They have, and if they don't have it, they'll sit there and they'll order it right then and there when you mm-hmm. ask about it. Which is perfect. Yeah. I mean that it does it. It's good for all of us. Because usually if they, they order one copy, they'll buy or, you know, order another one. Right, right. Right. So. And we're also lucky enough to have um, actually a pretty decent number of board gaming um, centric conventions and, and groups yeah. in our in our region. So not just South Carolina, but also North Carolina, North Carolina and Georgia. And Georgia. Um, so it's, it's really easy to, I, I find going to some of those and then just playing a game. A lot of times I'll go, I want this game now. Right. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to ask, you travel a lot. Where's been your favorite place that you've traveled to? For Conventions or gaming, yeah. If if you want to broaden that, that's fine by me. Um, I I really, so this is a funny story, but uh, generally my my two favorite shows of the year are Dragon Con in Atlanta, Uh just because the the fandom and the, you get to watch all the people and the costumes and it's a great show, uh, but generally I like the the show in Germany in Essen, Germany Spiel, which hosts a good two hundred thousand people. Um, and I say that 
kind of hesitantly this year because uh, we had, my husband had health problems uh, when we got there. So I really wasn't at the show a whole lot and I was at the hospital. But generally that's my favorite show. (laughs) It's a little sour point right now, but yeah, it's just, it's neat to see people from so many different countries and I have people in my booth that speak uh, Portuguese and French and German and English and Spanish. And so we talk to everybody, you know, in many different languages. And I just find it awesome that that many uh, countries come together and they're fans of zombies. Yeah. <laughs> what what I find interesting about about um about Essen is that from what I hear, it it's it's kind of a neat little melting pot, as it were where it doesn't really seem to matter what language you speak, per se. You you come in, and they just know you want to play board games, so they just accept you no matter what language you speak. Right, and so, they accommodate yeah. as they can. Right. You know, it's a whole different feel than what we see here in the States. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I was just thinking about it. One of one of our um, semi-regular hosts on the Swarmcast, oh, yeah. uh, Kristen, yeah. has been living in, in Germany for about, what, two and a half years? Two and a half years now? Yeah. So, um We'll totally have to make sure that we can uh, <laughs> harass him crash next at year. his place when uh, <laughs> and go to. Actually, I don't know if where he lives in relation to. Yeah, but it's Europe. Europe. It's like a train ride away. They've got all the weird bullet trains. And... Yeah, but from what he says, yeah. it still takes a while to get from place to place. That would still be amazing, though. It would be. Anyway. Even if we just go there and just <laughs> eat our way. You guys should totally go there. Uh, it, it is worth it. It is. For for me, I tend to choose the conventions that we go to based on what good things there are to eat around them. So, oh, which is why food in Germany is amazing. <laughs> it really is. The, 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 you're going to laugh at this, but the pastries are so much fresher and you can huh. taste the difference huh. in what we get here. They don't taste like they're full of preservatives. Yeah. They're not full of sugar, and they taste great. The pastries are amazing <laughs> over there. <laughs> so it, I'm it, just saying. <laughs> it's it's kind of funny because um, I mentioned Kristen. Mm-hmm. He 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 is um, very much a, a vegetarian. I don't think he's vegan. No, per he's se, not vegan. He's, he's very much a vegetarian, uh, and he said it's really hard to be a vegetarian in Germany. <laughs> It is because one of the biggest things they eat there, especially northern Germany, and the food in northern Germany as opposed to southern is actually quite a bit different. But it's like schnitzel in northern. Oh, man. And, and schnitzel is, you know, it yeah. could be chicken or beef or veal or whatever, uh-huh. and, you know, pounded down and breaded, fried, and some kind of sauce on it. And it's amazing. Yeah. Oh, wow. I'm, I'm getting hungry. Just- I know. <laughs> you want pastries and schnitzel <laughs> <laughs> well uh, the, thank you for coming on and talking with us and chatting I hope you enjoyed yourself as much as we enjoyed speaking with you um, is there any last things you want to say before we end before this conversation we, before we wrap this I was trying to think of some sort of zombie related that wasn't yeah. working oh I know it's probably too late for any of us <laughs> to come up with some Back from the dead thing. <laughs> I'm not that old. I don't need to be to bed at eight o'clock. Hey, I, I, you know, so we just got back from Germany, what, or Europe a week and a half ago. And oh. I don't think I'm on the oh. right time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
because the, the, the time changed yeah. and, you know, and then the time changed, you know, it's just crazy. But, yeah, I'm feeling pretty old. I could go to bed right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, Carrie, uh, oh, God, Carrie. Carrie. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I can't believe I almost forgot her name. It's because you were thinking of schnitzel. I was. I was. Actually, really? I was True. thinking of the pastries. You're about to say, well, well schnitzel, it was nice having you on the show. Yep. <laughs> we'll talk to you pastry later <laughs> <laughs> so once again this was Carrie with Twilight Creations um, mm-hmm. again thank you for coming on and speaking with us you're welcome thank you for having me bad news listeners it appears that some of our SCBC hosts got scooped up by the bots out there on route 2d20 keep those crits rolling for them and don't let anyone take your X card away from you we leave you now with the Grand Gamers Guild. All right, Swarmcast listeners, you're back here with John again. And uh, this time I have on a very special guest. Toast said he was going to try to get somebody from the MCU, but I'm not sure if I believe this note here. He says he has Mark Spector, the Moon Knight. That can't be right. Uh, Something like that, perhaps. <laughs> wait a minute. You don't sound like you don't sound like Moon Knight. I know what he sounds like. You sound like. <laughs> A different Mark Spector. Mark Spector from the uh, Grand Gamers Guild, in fact. Yes, sir. I think that is, I think you've nailed it now. <laughs> so, hey, Mark, how are you doing? I am doing fantastic. Thank you for asking. You travel a lot, I take it. I travel a fair amount. I mean, I think the convention year essentially begins around March and ends in December with PAX Unplugged. In fact, uh, I'm actually in the middle of building my convention year for next year. I'm a, I'm a planner and a budgeter. So I got to start booking flights and looking at prices and seeing what's practical. Uh, I, I think when I started out the publishing, I actually actually did too much too soon. I uh, went to too many shows. And, and while that's great exposure, there's a very real cost to that. Uh-huh. And so, um, you know, quite frankly, I, uh, you know, have had to pull back just a tiny bit. But but now I'm looking to, I don't know, let's say stabilize, I'm looking to stabilize <laughs> my convention presence. Um, and yeah, so still looking to go to PAX Unplugged before the end of the year. Very cool. I, I have not made it out to PAX Unplugged yet myself, but I'm really looking forward to it at some point. Uh, it just timing has been, been the thing for me of late. Oh, sure. Life's busy, you know, <laughs> and it's, it is definitely late in the year as shows go. Right. So let's, let's talk some about, um, Grand Gamers Guild then, um, so what first off what what is your role in Grand Gamers Guild? I am everything from the CEO to the janitor. I I do it all. I mean, I do my my time and talents are are do have their limits and so essentially, you know, I have people who I hire for graphic design and people who I hire to do the books, but at the end of the day, the buck stops with me, and I, I'm doing, I don't know, let's say 80% of the duties that it takes to run a business. Okay. So, um, and and for our, for our listeners, uh, Grand Gamers Guild, what you put out are board games, uh, yep. board and card yep. games. Okay. Yep. Because um, in fact, I uh, when I was at when I was at UK Games Expo earlier this year, one of my booth volunteers, Isaac Shalev, began describing our line as highly thematic Euro style games, and I thought, <laughs> um, I'm not highly thematic, sorry, highly interactive Euro style games. Heck, maybe he said both. Now I don't remember. Now I feel <laughs> foolish, but. Anyway, I was like, that's a great way to put it, um, especially because we were just uh, that was sort of the soft release of the Artemis project. And it is a highly interactive Euro game. So it really worked. OK, huh. I, I, that's an inter- Yeah, that is an interesting way to describe it for me and some of the, the Swarmcast, the rest of the, the other hosts that are on from time to time. 
we usually get a bunch of random games and then we just play them and, and do reviews of them. And so I think the our first um, couple of really early exposures to some of the Grand Gamers Guild games uh, was I think Unreal Estate was one of the one of one of our early ones. And yeah, that was my first baby. Yeah. Absolutely. And and I. I unfortunately did not get to play that one because what happens is we get some people who play it and then, then the next person's sort of on deck is the one who has to like grab the next game and, and go through the rules so that, so that when, Oh, gotcha. Can... <laughs> and so I got to watch, I got to watch a lot of that and I was like, man, I really want to play this one. Cause this one just looks amazing. Yeah. We were really proud of the art on that. The woman who did it is a local artist, uh, whose, whose star has definitely risen. She travels the comic con circuit, her name is uh, Corinne Roberts, and I, I mean, for anyone who has seen Unreal Estate or appreciates uh, what Corinne's art brings to the game, I'm, I mean, I love Corinne to death, and I'm always trying to plug her. So feel free to go to CorinneRoberts.net and make sure, uh, make sure she knows that Grand Gamers Guild sent you. But what's sort of the, uh, the secret origins, as it were, of the Grand Gamers Guild? How did it sure. all, how did it all come about and how did it start? Right. Well, I think what it can sort of if we're casting a broad net is I never just dabble in a thing. I usually go whole hog if I'm going to do something. And over a 10 year span of time, um, I attended my first Origins and then I began volunteering for Origins uh, for the show itself. Then I became a game master for the show, just running games from other companies on my own. It wasn't long thereafter that I started running an events team, um, and I had anywhere between eight and a dozen people coming with me to Origins and now Gen Con, because that still goes on today, and we run you know, 50 different games over the course of the shows for, for both me and other publishers. Um, back in 2013, I was co-founder of a local convention in Grand Rapids, Michigan, which I'm not any longer a part of on a business level, but that uh, still carries on. And then somewhere in there, I decided I wanted to be a publisher. So I've I've put my finger in just about every uh, part of the pie when it comes to uh, the gaming, the gaming bit. Well, that's that's good then, because that means you've definitely um, seen enough of the the different sides of it. Well, there's always more to learn. But what I will say is this: um, Richard Bliss used to say that before you ask for funds, you need to build your crowd. And the fact that I had inadvertently spent a decade meeting people and doing different things uh-huh. definitely provided a good foundation for when I decided to launch uh, Unreal Estate on Kickstarter. And I think, you know, the slow, the snowball is still slowly gaining ground, That's you know, really getting, cool. getting bigger and bigger as it rolls downhill. We'll see what happens come early next year when, <laughs> when I launch the next project. Speaking of that, since you mentioned it and you, you mentioned um, Unreal Estate uh, was, was your first big, big step into Kickstarter. Do you feel, uh, <laughs> do you feel like you've, You've really learned a lot from that, or that you've uh, you've that that's helped really grow as a company. Oh, absolutely! I mean, I could not have a company today, like many would say the same thing, uh-huh. without Kickstarter. It's just, um, at least in terms of the way I need to do things, it is uh, it is part of the business model. I know that um, some people have incorporated it and made it a permanent part of their business model. I hope to slowly move away from it. But, you know, with all due respect to someone like Jamie Stegmeyer, he's done an amazing job of building up that following um, and taking it with him off of a crowdfunding platform. Uh-huh. I, uh, I'm not that big quite yet. And um, yeah, so so ideally, I will slowly move away from a crowdfunding platform. But uh, for now, it will be my it will be my game funding medium of choice. Okay. 
There's a lot to be said about that, being able to kind of use it as I want to say they sort of really in, intended it to help you kind of get started, get that momentum going. And then, like you said, if you can eventually just kind of go, well, our name is and our products are, are big enough now that we can actually kind of step away from that. But I know that um, some people get a little upset when some of the bigger companies that have never used Kickstarter all of a sudden show up on Kickstarter or something. You know, if you're going to look at it from a philosophical level, you're going to be constantly frustrated. Right. Uh, at the end of the day, we're all businesses and we're all here to make money. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of difficulties watching hugely, hugely large companies play and compete on the same field as a company like mine. But, you know, the rules are what they are. They're entitled to be there and I can't do anything about it. Um, I've spent far too much time complaining. Let me put it like that. (laughs) Um, Now it's time to just shut up and and keep doing. And I'll either do and succeed or I'll do and I won't succeed. But their presence or absence from that platform is is not going to be what determines my success. It it can't be, you know, because they've cultivated uh, their audiences in different ways. They've cultivated it for, you know, decades sometimes. And, you know, that's just a losing battle to to, uh, keep that constant comparison up. As a gamer... It seemed to me like like Kickstarter was was a really weird love hate relationship for me as a consumer, sure. but I've I don't know I think as as everybody's everybody's gotten used to it and learned from it and grown from it, it's gotten a lot better. I want to say I would say it's an ever evolving landscape of good and bad. Right. I mean, there's been some. Relatively recent high-profile bad stuff too, but again, oh uh, yeah, yeah, I, I'm still recovering from some uh, some Kickstarters from years and years ago that I'm mm-hmm. still waiting on on uh, fulfilling. But for the most part, I feel like now I I can look at something and go, okay, I think this one's gonna this one's gonna be worth backing because uh, either, either because either because I see a name like Grand Gamers Guild attached to it, and I go, oh, uh, okay, I know I can. Uh, I can, right. I can trust this one. This will be good. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, since we, since we're talking about Kickstarter, you had mentioned that you've got a, are you going to have a Kickstarter that's going to be coming out in uh, early first quarter, I guess, 2020 or. Yep. Uh, it's for a game called Garinto. The prototypes are about 80% built, just waiting for some final, final bits. I mean, literally the boxes. Um, and the bits and uh, and a draw bag, and once we have those, we'll deliver the prototypes to any reviewers, previewers, whatever you want to call them, uh, who are at PAX Unplugged. The rest will send out in the mail, and we'll begin building our, you know, our credentials, so to speak. They're reviewers and previewers that are, you know, on that type of stuff and who have experience and are willing to to you know help us out by giving us visibility and you know whether it's written or podcast or. Uh-huh. Or or video, so you know definitely that that train is about to pull out of the station, and okay. we're super confident in it. I signed it, uh, goodness, about a year and a half ago, and um, and it's gone through. Uh, it's a pretty solid game, of course, because I won't take games that that need oodles and oodles of development. But um, we did have one major development leap that really really tightened things up, and and since then it's been very minor tweaks. But um. Just tell you a little bit about the game itself. Yeah, yeah. Garinto is an abstract engine building tile movement game. Uh, it plays two to four players. It plays in about uh, half an hour. Uh, I'll I'll go on record right now and say that yes, we are looking at a solo mode, but <laughs> almost unconditionally no 
five players um, may or may not happen. I know that often when a four-player game goes up on Kickstarter, the first thing people start asking for is that fifth player. Right. And right. I, I have to I have to determine if that's practical or possible or desirable because you don't want to make a game into something that's not. But this is very different than anything we've done before. Pretty much like every project we do is very different <laughs> than anything we've done before. Uh-huh. That is that is purposeful. I mean, that's part of my long-term strategy. I don't use it often enough, but one of our hashtags is Game Night Go To because I want gamers to be able to spend an entire night with our games and never know that they're all from the same company and yet still have an amazing time. Okay. So we've never done really a straight abstract and, you know, here we are. Huh. Okay. So now as far as the designing the games and such, do you usually take the lead on that or or does it just depend on what the game is? Oh, no, I, I'm not a designer by any stretch of the imagination. I, I always say I'm too I'm too dumb to be a designer, and I'm barely smart enough to be a publisher. Um, so uh, this game was actually brought to me uh, by my web developer at the time, a woman named Heather Newton, who lives in Colorado and is in a game group with a guy by the name of Ricky or Richard Yainer. And she had played the game at a gathering and was really impressed by it and brought it to me. And it was uh, honestly... As she described it to me, I was, you know, salivating, so to speak, you know, publisher level salivating. And um, and then we played it and it was it, it was like magic on the table to me. I was super impressed right from the get go. And this is Ricky's first design that I know of that's going to be published. You know, I don't talk to him every day. So there might be other stuff going on that um, that I'm not aware of. But, you know, it's always exciting to find a great game, right? Like uh-huh. I've, I've obviously, like many publishers, you, you reject a lot of games. And I always tell people that if I cannot be a flag-waving champion for their game, then they really don't want me to publish it. That's not fair. It's not fair to me. It's not fair to them. It's not fair to anyone involved. I, I don't want my, you know, my graphic designer, I don't want him working on a game that he doesn't believe in because then I don't feel as if I'm going to get his best efforts. So I have a lot of, layers built in to make sure that everyone um is behind the product that we put out uh but then yeah i mean in terms of the game itself i i I would say that i lend my voice to development but depending on the title um, that voice is either loud or quiet i would say that uh honestly my former web developer uh that changed the way we draft tiles i'll just it's it's gonna make for very good podcasting but (laughs) essentially you used to have When you were drafting your tile, you used to have 25 choices because you were pulling it from the board itself, Uh and that was daunting. And so we added a perimeter to the board, and now you only have 10 choices, which diminish every turn, whereas you had basically 25 choices every single round. Oh, my. Um, Okay. And so um, it's still a decent number of choices to provide a lot of flexibility and a lot of player agency, but... It isn't, you know, for those folks who are really going to dig in and optimize their move, it's not going to be a situation where you're, you're trying to measure 25 different moves against one another. Um, but yeah, so we're, su- we're super excited about where it's at, um, super excited about how it fits into our product line overall, and can't wait to, uh, can't wait to bring it to life. In fact, I'll say one other thing. When I describe it to people, I also say that it's a combination between Azul and Kingdom Builder. Because obviously most tile games these days are compared to Azul. Right. It's an amazing game. Right. Um, so I think it has sort of that level of thinkiness to it. But uh, Kingdom Builder, uh, one of the hallmarks of that game was the changing scoring mechanism. So every game in Kingdom Builder, you randomly pulled your scoring conditions. And this game has that as well. 
So the way you play the game, um, while mechanically it's the same, the decisions you make and how and why you make them will be different every time you play. I'm not a mathematician, but right now we have about a dozen different rules. <laughs> if we have some good community engagement and people come up with some really good ideas, because it's definitely the kind of game that people can jam on and go, I think this would work. You know, there's no reason why we can't add a few additional cards into the game. And, um, you know, and so if you do the math with, you know, two different rules present in each game and however many combinations that makes when you have a dozen of them, just a lot of different ways to play. Well, that's very cool. I, I do I do like it when the, a game like that has has a nice little complexity and replayability with it as well. Sure. So, so I mean, to anyone who's great. listening, if you're going to be... Thank you. Sorry, I didn't mean to talk over you. I'm no, a terrible interrupter. That's fine. <laughs> but um, to anyone who's listening who'll be at PAX Unplugged, mm-hmm. we're going to have it on a table. It's, it's short enough that you can get just an explanation, but that if you wanted to sit down and play the entire game, it, you know, we'll probably let that happen as well. And then, you know, and then it'll be uh, gangbusters come Kickstarter time. So you mentioned PAX Unplugged. That's going to be the, the I get, well, yeah, that's going to be the next place that folks will be able to, to check to check out a Grand Gamers Guild. Is that going to be the the last of the uh, 2019 yes. run for you guys? No yeah. question. Yes, you, I'm exhausted. A, and then you take a month or two off, I guess. Yeah, so I don't have anything in January. Um, in fact, I, I had really, really hoped to be at Tantrum Con, but... Uh, my personal life is in too much flux to make that commitment. And then I want to say nothing in February. And, and there's something in March. I think Gamma Trade Show is in March, if my memory serves. But um, that's obviously not a consumer show. It's more of an industry-based show for retailers. Right, right. So I'll have all the games there to show off, Endangered and Artemis Project and Garinto, and try to you know make things look good and fun for the retailers. And yeah, and then go from there. So way back when, when I was bright eyed and anything was possible under the sun, uh-huh. I had visions of attending every unpub and every proto spiel and just publishing games, you know, to the nth degree and having a great time doing it. And well, a few things quickly became apparent. One, um, there's a lot of great games out there, too many for me to handle. Two, there's a lot of not great games out there. Um, <laughs> and, and so there really is a big process of separating the wheat from the chaff. And I don't mean that with any disrespect. I have a lot of admiration for, you know, designers who put their heart and soul into something and then trot it out before a merciless publisher to, you know, ideally make, make their dreams come true. And unfortunately, most of the time that does not happen. It is not an easy thing to get a game published Uh in every respect, but especially, you know, as the designer, there's a huge amount of competition and I was in a situation early on, you know, there again, there's oodles and oodles of games where I could not handle the deluge of, of submissions. Even I had them coming through the website and uh, I would get multi, you know, more than seven submissions a week. So more than one a day, um, many from the same designer. They would come in fits and spurts. And I always said, oh, I'll get right back to that. And I put them in an e-file and I promptly never got to them again, which is... Um, unprofessional and disrespectful. And I was very, very frustrated with myself for a long time based on that. And so um, I had to figure out a better way. And so just about a year to a year and a half ago, uh, I have a good friend who's very well versed in gaming. Um, He's been gaming for longer than I have. His name is Bruce Miller. He's essentially my submissions manager. And so now almost unconditionally, if someone either approaches me via email or walks about a convention or, you know, basically goes through any other channel than what I'm about to say. 
I will send them to my website and I will send them to contact and then designers. And I will say, look, I need everyone to have the same treatment, everyone to go through the same process and one set of eyes to see everything and compare and contrast. And so they have the opportunity to put in all their contact information, to put in a synopsis of the game, a link to the rule book, a link to a video, a link to a sell sheet, you know, all the content that they have, they can upload. And then that goes to my submissions manager. And then based on what he knows we have going on, based on his much more extensive history of gaming than my own, because occasionally we'll get a submission, he'll go, um, that's exactly this game, but with a different story or a different theme, as people like to say. Um, and I'll go, okay, well, that's a no then, because we're not republishing you know, someone else's game with a different theme, whether it was uh, purposeful or by accident. And, um, and then what he does is, if he likes what he sees, I have a small team of well-versed gamers, and ideally, he'll bring it to the table with them before I even sit down with it. And then if, uh, you know, if they play it and see, see a spark, then, uh, then I sit down and play it. And if I like it, then I bring it to my graphic designer and I say to him, hey, you know, all these people have played it. Uh, so have I. We think there's something here. Do, does this inspire you? Do you, have, do you see, you know, because again, he, he, um, he sees things visually in a very different way than I do, you know. Um, in terms of both materials and art and things like that. And I'll say, you know, is this a game you think we can, you know, polish into a gem and make attractive and marketable and turn, you know, turn mechanics into a product? And then if he's inspired, then uh, we move to a contract. Well, is there anything you can think of that that would be some like any any advice for someone if they want to get something in there? I know for a lot of designers, it's probably you you have to get to that the game designers have to get to that point where they're like okay well whatever game i've designed i've got to be prepared it's it's kind of like with with writing you know i got to be prepared that that this is probably not going to to hit the mark but if yeah it, but i mean if i it, guess but if it does and that, no pun intended hit, as far as hitting uh-huh. the mark <laughs> what i would say is that again i try to cast a very wide net in terms of what i like to publish uh-huh. um I'm not looking for war games. I'm not looking for exclusively kids games. Um, that I can say, you know, firmly, but I'll take, I'll be willing to look at anything that's from 15 minutes to three hours. And, and that is, you know, thematically, you know, almost anything, uh, from abstract to, to highly thematic. But beyond that, you know, if you're going to submit a game again, it's so competitive these days, your game, your game needs to be published ready in your mind, even though it's not because you're probably too close to it to see its flaws. But you need to think that it's published ready. And then that's where my team takes it and we polish it, hone off the rough edges, um, see the things that you as the designer didn't see. You know, it's, it's, I'll, give you, I'll give a counter example though. And that is when Jonathan Schaefer gave me, not gave me, but you know, we sat down to play Stroop, which, um, which was also, is all gonna be, also gonna be reprinted soon. You know, that game, Jonathan is, he has a very keen mind and it's a word game uh, based around the Stroop effect. And because of the way the game plays, um, the way the cards were distributed had to be very specific. And Jonathan knew that. I mean, and he's a, you know, maniacal play tester. So when this (laughs) game was first laid out on the table for me, um, there was no question that it was mechanically sound. And quite frankly, aside from graphic design, it was done. That is extremely rare. But Stroop as a game is based on a very particular concept. It doesn't have a lot of moving parts. 
So it's not like if you knock one domino over of the mechanics that it's going to affect five other dominoes. It has basically one conceit and that conceit sang and did exactly what it needed to do the way it needed to do it. Uh, most games are not like that. And most games, again, no matter how you how good you as the designer think it is, most games are not, um, you know, publish ready. But you again, you need to believe it's publish ready. Yeah. So mentioning Stroop, I oh my gosh, when we we sat down to play it, I remember I was really getting into it. I was like, yeah, this is fun. And then just all of a sudden it just like my brain just shut off. Yeah, it's um, and, and, if you lose your rhythm, it can be difficult to recover. Right, but but therein lies the game. Right, you know, right, it's that right. cognitive overload. Oh gosh, that game! Because there there were four of us playing, and then like as soon as as soon as my brain cut off, the the guy sitting across from me, um, my friend Doug, his did the same thing, and we we pretty much sat there just kind of staring <laughs> at each other while the other two guys were playing, going uh, until finally we're like, wait, wait, I can get in now, and now and then I picked it back up. Uh-huh. And then, yeah, it's so it's almost <laughs> like you have to hit play again, and your right, brain picks up, right. and, the, and the track keeps going. Right, and it's like, oh, whoo! And it's like, okay, well, let's use the advanced rules now. And then it was like, whoa, my gosh! Yeah, the backwards <laughs> and forwards cards. Yes. So I always love the reaction I get because when I demo it, it shows I never demo it with the backwards and forwards cards. Uh-huh. But after after I've you know put that daunted look on their faces with the base game, I go, and when you get really good, you put these in, and people go, whoa. And it's either like, oh my gosh, <laughs> no way, or they're practically salivating for that elevated challenge. I think we had played Unreal Estate earlier that night, and then we played Stroop towards the end. And um, mm-hmm. visually, those are two very different games. Oh, two very, to say the least. Yeah. Yeah. Unreal Estate is absolutely lavish, and Stroop is stark. I mean, it's just... You know, to say the least. Right, but it 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 just wouldn't work if there was other stuff on those those cards mm-hmm. for Stroop. Yeah, I mean the whole yeah you can't. It's already enough um, enough cognitive load that you can't um, you know make it too much crazier. Right, but um yeah, but when you were you were talking about the me- the mechanics of it, it, it seems like one of those where you know you would look at it and go, oh well, this is just yeah. This is just a, a word on a card, but it's mm-hmm. but at the same time. Right. And when Jonathan broke out Stroop, sorry to interrupt. When Jonathan broke out Stroop, I I basically said, I have a card game. I'm not looking for another card game. (laughs) But then I but then I played it. I'm like, oh, this is no this is no mere card game. This is amazing. So super exciting. Super exciting. Yeah. And that's that's one that um, I pretty much will not play with my friend uh, Tim. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll I'll play with other people, but I won't play with Tim anymore because he's sure, just, sure. Uh, his his brain is just firing that fast. I understand. And and if you've got somebody like that, you almost get sucked into watching them play and forget that you're yeah. playing too. And then you go, oh wait, wait, I'm I'm trying not to lose too. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, we've we've been uh we've been talking for a little bit over half an hour now about um. Oh wow, time flies when you're having fun. Holy mackerel! <laughs> so. That that being said, is there any, anything else you wanna you would like to to bring up or mention? Not really. I mean, you've uh, you know we've kind of run the gamut of my product line of uh-huh. where most things are at. You know, I I, I love convention time. Um, I do. I, I hate the getting there, but mm-hmm. I love being there. I love that feeling of exhaustion at the end of the day. Um, you know, going to Essen is particularly unique. I, I love meeting people who play my games. You know, all all over. But you know, hitting a you know, getting, getting 15 different countries to walk up to you over the course of four days and, you know, is, is particularly spectacular. 
but yeah, it's, it's a great time. Uh, you know, and so hopefully, you know, if you're playing our games, please come say hello to convention. We'd love to, uh, you know, to meet you, you know, for anyone who's listening and, and is interested in Garinto or the Artemis reprint or the Stroop reprint or just in general goings on, oh, yeah. um, you know, just keep, keep an eye on, you know, our website and sign up for our newsletter at, um, uh, but it's at the top of the page. That, that's the best way to sort of keep up. And of course we're on Facebook at grand gamers guild and Twitter and Instagram. You can search for grand gamers guild and, um, you know, the little vowless moniker we use there will come up. Again, we've had Mark Spector from uh, Grand Gamers Guild talking with us about pretty much all sorts of Grand Gamers Guild. <laughs> Everything. <laughs> uh, you've you've actually given me a lot of interesting information, I think, on um, a lot of the publishing aspect. Um, cool. How you guys have gone about doing a lot of things and such. Yeah. So listeners, go go check out Grand Gamers Guild and all those places that, that Mark said to go check them out. And uh, right. yeah, once again, thank you for being on the show, Mark. Thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate the opportunity. Listen up. The revolution will be streamed live. We've got a... Citizens, we are no FOMO no mo. Do not be alarmed. This Robo broadcast will be quelled. We are homing in on its source, and it will be dealt with soon. Until then, enhance your calm, 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 enhance your calm with these board game reviews. Revolution. Chocolatiers by Daily Magic Games for two to five players. Ages 8 and up, plays in about 20 minutes. In Chocolatiers, you take on the role of a young chocolatier boxing up chocolates to make a decadent chocolate display. Collect chocolates, box them up before your opponents do, and arrange them carefully to earn the most points. This game is being reviewed by Ruby, Tim, and John. Well, technically it's just really being reviewed by John. He's the only one that played. Yeah, you guys were kind of here in the room and you got to see some of what was going on. Correct. So, John, what Mm. was something good about it? Well, once we got into it, the rules for it weren't really hard to follow once we once we started playing it. Okay. okay. Um, And uh, the colors and shapes were easy enough to distinguish. So it wasn't hard to tell what a certain type of piece of chocolate was supposed to be. So that was good. Okay. Well, by looking at it, it is colorful. And yes, you can definitely tell from the pictures and the game components what the different pieces of chocolate look like. Right. Anything bad? Uh, yes. Going through the instruction booklet initially was kind of um, a challenge. It was very wordy and it was, it was a little confusing at first. I totally agree. Sitting off to the side listening, I was like, I don't understand any of what he's talking about. Right. And there's... And unfortunately, there's there's like some numbers on the little chocolate piece cards, which we find out, oh, those don't actually mean anything. Those are except to tell us here's how many of this type of uh, card are in the deck mm-hmm. and how rare the card is in the deck. And did rarity mean anything in the game? Not really. Okay. It just um, It just meant you're less likely to get one of those to come out. Okay. It didn't, it didn't actually... Uh, mean any thing as far as the ultimate end scoring part of it. Did you notice anything bad, Tim? I mean, other than listening to the gurus, which was, I, I felt like John was talking around in circles when he was explaining them. <laughs> <laughs> and part of that was because of 
the glazed expressions on. Well, uh, half the table wasn't really paying attention to me when I was trying to explain the rules. But I was. And, and the way it was written was okay. kind of like that, too. I, I did think of something other I think is kind of bad about the game. Too. What's that? What's, what's yours? Uh, mine was at, at about, oh, I don't know, 40 to 50 minutes. Someone asked, how long was this supposed uh-huh. to be? Yep. That's yeah. what I was going to say, too. Yeah. So it, it took a lot longer than it and, took about two hours. To yeah. Play. So I made a joke. I was like, no, no, it's 20 minutes per person that's playing. But <laughs> and it wasn't because they were taking too much time to make a decision either. It just seemed like the turns went really slow. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. But this would this game would easily get bogged down with somebody who had a lot more mm-hmm. analysis paralysis. Oh, yes. God, yeah. Yes. All right. Uh, was there anything other you wanted to mention about the game? Um, it was kind of neat the way that the you had to do the tile placement and such. How the 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 way you had the tile placed in front of you mattered. So it brought an interesting element of trying to think a few steps ahead. I thought uh, the components are pretty solid. The thing that I thought was kind of neat about the other is the way you had to you had to make a rectangular box. Of chocolates. You had to get six tiles, and they had to be in a rectangle, essentially. You were actually putting together an actual decorative box of chocolates. And I will say this. For a thing that looks like it has a lot of uh, what they call a point salad kind of thing, Uh where you've got your points on your cards, and then the points at the top, depending on like Mm -hmm. the contiguous lines of chocolates, get you points. That looked like it was going to be daunting, but it was really easy to figure that out. Yeah, that was like... A lot easier than it, than it sounded like. like when you read the rules. Right. And so I was surprised how easy that part of it was. Okay. For Chocolatiers. Well, this was Chocolatiers by Daily Magic Games. Mm, let's go eat some chocolate. Yum. Lord of the Fries by Cheap Ass Games. Two to eight players, ages 12 and up, plays in about 40 minutes. Lord of the Fries, the hilarious fast food zombie card game. At Freddy's, the fast food restaurant of the damned, zombies are racing to build combo meals from hands full of random food. That's right, you're a zombie working at a fast food joint, and you have a handful of random ingredients. Your job is simple, fill orders faster than anybody else. This is challenging, but not impossible, especially when the customer gets impatient and lets you leave stuff out. Lord of the Fries is a simple, fast, and funny card game of, for ages 12 and up. This is the deluxe version, so it does contain two decks of cards. What? Which we found out, well, we can t- cover that mm-hmm. more in the other, because that's kind of a neat thing. And this game was reviewed by Ruby. Tim. And John. And for those of you listening who might be a bit confused as to what's the difference between being a, a zombie working at a fast food place versus a regular person working at a fast food place. Mm. Eh. <laughs> Tim. Less stress. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what was something good about it? I thought it played pretty fast. Um, it, it, and it was with the amount of people we had at the table. It was it was surprising how how much how fast and how much fun that actually was. Yeah, I mean, it it might not have fit in the uh, the time that they suggest, but we were playing with you know a maximum load of people. So it, that, that is true. Um, 40 minutes and yeah it took us a little, it took bit, a little bit longer but not yeah, by much but again that was with a full, full table. table yeah right right i think it's good it, it's a nice solid box 
It's the, pretty easy to, to match up things. Right. The rules are very simple. It does seem like it'd be an easy game to just have with you and just be able to get out to the table. Just The rules are simple. To. There's like four rules to it. Right. Yeah. And you there's three variations of the game. Well, so. sort well, and of. It's, yeah. But it's, well, it's, here, it's small and compact enough. Three-ish yeah. variations. Right. Um, which we'll talk a little bit more about other stuff in the other section. Mm-hmm. So what was bad about this game? It, it's prone to analysis paralysis. Yeah. If you don't have a good memory per se, you're always going to repeat, be repeating what the order is constantly. Yeah. The, the one thing I found kind of that, that, a bad thing, but one of the things I, I found I didn't like was just that, having to have to ask because it was all on one sheet and we had to pass that around so everyone could see what it is. Yeah. If there was like a little like cheat sheet or something that... Well... I, I agree. I didn't like having to... The sheet... Like, oh, wait, so, okay. This this kind of rolls into the other as well. There are two deck of cards in the deluxe version, which is what this is. And that actually allows you to, if you play with just one deck of cards, it's a full set and it has the, the menu, as they call it. Ah. For each deck, and then there's a third menu, which you can you play two to six players if you're only using one deck, which is 52 cards. If you're playing full eight people, you have to take both decks with a certain number of cards from each deck, which they spell out for you in the rules, and that makes up 72 cards for eight players, and that's a separate menu. So having those three different menus on the same sheet as the rules the first time around was a little annoying because, you know, it was like, oh, yeah, you got to double check to do this, to do that. Like I said, though, the rules are fairly simple. Um, But the first couple of times around, you know, having to pick it up, look at the rules, go back to the menu and so on. So so it kind of rolls into the bad and the other altogether. I was going to say, are we in the other or the? We're 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 on the border. We're, kind of we're on the border. We're in between. I think we can. Roll. Oh, yeah, we can. Okay, I will say this last my last little bit for bad. Um, I know everything I said was like, oh, it was super fast. It was fun to play with all the people. I felt like it really kind of overstayed its welcome. <laughs> by that, third, it was a little bit long. Yeah, you played four third, rounds. Yeah. Yeah, by that last round, I was like, just like, I don't know, what are we gonna make? Well, I'm just gonna pass those ingredients to the person to my left. <laughs> you were doing kind of i wondered why i kept getting well i was like well okay because it got to the point where it's like oh we get it we're all going to keep passing the same card it's the same card's going to make its way around the entire table it got very repetitive at that point yeah and i was a little tired of a person who i'm looking at who's not here constantly just going i'm just going to keep passing the same card and collecting all those i was like but anyways yeah i i I was trying to pass cards to fulfill things to the person next to me just in hopes of getting something different that I right. could possibly do right. something with. Right. So, so should we go into the other category? Yeah, yeah, other. So, other. Um, you mentioned this was actually a couple different. I think it you is two different decks. Two different decks. And they do have other decks that you can play. They do have other decks that you can play. I know they have Italian, Chinese. Um, that sounds delicious. I can't remember. Probably but a few other decks. The, yeah, they foods. do. I can only think of Italian and Chinese, but I know they have other decks. And from what I recall, you, you can mean actually, the cuisines. Yeah, the different cuisines. cuisines. But the okay. decks you play then individually, they have their menus listed in the rules. Oh, neat. I think you can go online and they have ways that you can mix the decks, like in this deluxe version. So like they, they have might be additional like, hey, menus. Hey, for a Tex-Mex fusion, right. you could try these two deck combos. Right. I can totally see them doing that. It, yes, they do have Mexican. The, yes. the, the, game, the game does lend itself to something like yeah. that oh yeah i would say and this is another category if you really want to make the game a little bit more interesting 
that in between rounds, um, everybody gets up and changes, sits in a different place. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm yeah, serious because it. sometimes, like, I always kind of figured what the guy to my right was going to oh, ask me. I'm pretty oh, yeah. sure I knew Matt saw my hand the whole time just because we had eight people around the table and he was sitting kind of backwards and I was sitting forwards. So. Well, and plus, I know I, Tim was just yeah. getting mad because because Calvin was never passing him anything. Really. He was only passing me like the meats and right, right, right. Right, right. five point and the so, sauce. So. Yeah. And I was like, really? But, you know, it is. Uh, so this was Lord of the Fries by uh-huh. Cheap Ass Games. Roll for your life, Candyman by Smirk and Dagger Games. For two to four players, ages up takes 10 to 30 minutes. A fast rolling, real time new twist on everybody's favorite game of gingerbread cookie carnage. Two to four players face off in arena style, free for all battles, rolling their dice furiously. When a player gets all four of their dice to match, they grab the plastic candy cane in the center of the table, stopping the action and claiming a cookie part matching the die results from their foe. The player at the end of three rounds who has collected the most cookie parts wins. Yum. This game was reviewed by Ruby, Tim, and John. Now, before we get too far into it, I just want to say, um, if you go back and check out our Origins 2019 episode, you mm-hmm. can actually hear me talking with Kurt Covert of... That's uh, real name. Of, yes, of Smirk and Dagger Games, as he was actually talking with me at Origins about this particular game. That's true. Ooh, I was fancy. there. All right. So what's some good stuff we could say about Roll for Your Life, Candyman? I love the components. Yes. They were so fun. They're bright. They're colorful. They're well made. The the plastic candy cane in the middle is fun to touch and play with. Uh, super colorful, super tactile. The box is the perfect size for all of its components. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they gave you plastic bags to separate out each candy person. Yep. So after your first time of punching all the stuff out, it's it's easy to get game set up mm-hmm. out of the way. And this, yeah, I will say one of the good things is this game is easy to just. You pull out of the box, you get it going, and boom, you're, you're ready to, to yep. roll for so, it. So it pretty much, we're reading that description, you know all the rules. There's one yeah. additional rule about the... Um, the special treats. There's whatever. special treats, and if you roll all four of the same thing at the start of the game. Yeah. At yes. the start which, of your turn. Which is sweet. Yeah. Sweet. I mean, sweet. the rule's super simple, super fast. What about you, Tim? What do you think was good about this game? I love it. I mean, it's a good, quick game. You, you don't have to play the whole three rounds that it suggests. Yeah. So it doesn't take long to do. Mm-hmm. If you're, like, waiting between games, whatever, you can just throw down and smack each other with candy canes. And it plays within the time frame, it says. Yep. Okay. Um, so what's some something bad we can say about Roll for Your Life, Candyman? <laughs> it's a lot of luck. It depends on how well it how you roll, how good and how quick you can roll to match up four dice so it's almost a dexterity game in a weird way because <laughs> yeah. you got to pick up those dice and re-roll them pretty quick right because it's uh, you're all rolling in, in real time, time trying to get those mm-hmm. things uh one thing i found slightly confusing in there the gingerbreads he- heads have hair that's the color of their buttons but my gingerbread right. didn't have hair, <laughs> though if you look in the mouth, his mouth was the color of the buttons, <laughs> but you had to look at that, so it was a little confusing. At first. At first, and, right. you know, so you, it, it's the color of the buttons. And some of those, some of those special treat, uh, the powers, they wrote, they wrote a little blurb on each of the little chits. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but some of them you did have to actually look at the back of the instruction book to get the full clarification. Uh. But even then, that wasn't so bad. Um, there's going to be some folks who are going to say, well, this game doesn't look like it's very conducive to people who are colorblind. But I say it doesn't matter as long as you've got all, Object you know, as long as you can yeah. figure out that, oh, two arms, two legs, a torso and a yep, head. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, Color and, doesn't and four, truly matter and four for dice. Them. As long as they know which four dice are mine, yeah. It, it even though it's colorful and stuff, and you can match up the colors, you don't have to. Yeah. So, bravo. So, so okay. that was my bad thing, which is <laughs> all right. Which is kind of a good thing. Yes. So, what what can we say that's other in this role for your life, Candyman? Because there's a little, a lot of other. I think we can put in this. Oh. Well, first off, you had that candy cane. That's the actual. See, I put marker. that in the good. But you put that in the good. There are a lot of components in this game yes, that are not necessary to the game, like your little word bubbles. The word bubbles, the candy daggers, and the crown. And the crown. Yeah. Um, They're fun But they are pits. a lot of fun anyway. Yes. Because look, because we were each like, yeah, I want a word bubble. I want a crown. I want I want the crown. We didn't use the, the candy cane daggers. Yeah. Um, we could have, and that would have been fun, but we didn't need to. So... Anything else we could put in the other? I will say this. For other, I don't see why you couldn't make up a set of actual, um, I don't know, gingerbread men. <laughs> and go and go real time with this and go, ah, I take your arm. Snap. But I'd want to eat it. Well, and that's you, how you, you score wait, your points. You wait till the end. You wait yeah, till so the, the end, more you, you want to eat, the, the more you get the points you score. You wait till the end of the round to eat because there are certain special powers like like what Tim had where he got to put a part from his trophy thing onto his body. Yeah, that's true. So I would wait till the end and then eat those. <laughs> and the next round would be three brand new or three or four brand new uh, gingerbread men. Okay, okay. That's how I would do that. That yeah. sounds pretty good, right? That doesn't last time too bad. I'm that's, not a huge gingerbread fan, <laughs> but yeah, okay. But you could get by in there. I could. Uh, you could probably also substitute in a ninja bread man <laughs> if you really want to. All right, so this was Roll for Your Life, Candyman by Smirk and Dagger Game. Well, it looks like we've come to the end of our show. The bots are beating down our door. Go ahead and follow us on Twitter and Facebook and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or whatever it is that you get fine podcasts. Email us at swarmcastpodcast at gmail.com or leave us a voice message at 803-470-4439. And we may even play your message on our Rebel broadcast. Big shout out to MC Lars for letting me use his music. Hey, why don't you guys go out there and check him out at mclars.com. That'd be really cool of you. So until next time, keep fighting the evil robots. Swarmcast listeners.
my flat They swear their allegiance just like that Then I send Winston my favorite book Goldstein's manifesto and they got hooked Listen, they thought I was another brother Had no clue that I was undercover Took your wisdom with electroshock Made it get so hot that he rolled over on Julia Even though he loved her I know I thought that I betrayed her But in the mayhem I was trying to save them Re-education, my specialization Sting out for the art of persuasion 101, the last step done Still type stun at the person I become Double think, I'll be sharp as a knife I'm just doing my job in the party 1984, the number Another summer This year, big brother's going under They laid down laws from state to state With double think, they perpetrate Another summer, this year Big Brother's going under They laid down laws from state to state With double thick, they perpetrate from classics to cliff notes to memory holes In the trap set to kill hope, the penalty's known Gave me access to glitch codes in every phone Keep you tapped in the snitch mode and never alone The owners mastered the impulse to shelter at home You'd rather strap in the match with with predator drones Promote distractions to captain, so petty and passive Picking sides to monopolize, with the rations I divide, colonize, claim innocent facts And sanitize times passes, smash the false idols Even redesign rivals when truth becomes libel Produce the drums, shoot the guns on my arrival What comes after fake news? Fake words, language disassembled Why them devils take turns That's why rappers gotta mumble They afraid to be heard We know the time 1984, the number Another summer This year Big Brother's going under They laid down laws from state to state With double thick, they perpetrate 1984, the number Another summer This year Big Brother's going under They laid down laws from state to state With double thick, they perpetrate Practical effects, practical effects. I practically made some effects.